Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. This episode from the Grace and Gigabytes book launch features the author Ryan Panzer and guest Mary Hess. Our final presenter of the afternoon, our closing uh, keynote, if you will, for the Grace and Gigabytes launch party is Mary Hess, a professional, a professor of educational leadership at Luther Seminary, where she has taught since the year 2000. Uh, Mary has had directed a number of projects focusing on the challenges of media culture for communities of faith. And as an educator straddling the fields of media studies and religious studies, uh, Mary has focused her research on exploring ways in which participatory strategies like we've talked about today for knowing and learning are constructed and contested amidst digital cultures. So Mary, welcome. Thank you for speaking to us this evening. Thanks, Ryan. It's really fun, actually, to see all of these folk, all of you all doing this. I feel like the old fart in the room because I feel like I've been working on this for, I don't know, nearly 30 years. And it's really fun to watch such a rich and deep and complex group of folk um, really caring about the church. As I was trying to think about what could I possibly say at the end of such a rich group of speakers, um, I thought, well, you know what, maybe I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction. So let me um, and offer you a couple of other ways of thinking about this. So first of all, I want to remind everybody that we worship, at least in the Christian context, a God that is relational within God's very self, right? So the way we talk about God as being a social trinity, we talk about this communicative process within God's very being and then God in communication with all of God's creation. So we've got to start there. No matter what we're doing, no matter how we're working, no matter what technologies are around us, God is in their midst. And I wanted to invite you. I was so glad that Shamika did this a little bit. I'm going to do it a little bit longer. I think one of the things that we avoid when we think about digital tech is remembering our embodiedness. And I think especially at the end of a long afternoon, remembering to breathe. I mean, here we are in a moment of COVID pandemic. Here we are in a moment of racial uprising. Here we are in spaces where the note of breathing is often a really hard thing to remember. So this is a breath prayer that was written by Christine Sign that I found via Johnny Baker's blog. Uh, and I will invite you now to remember that you can live for days without food. You can live for a couple days, maybe without water. You cannot live for even 10 minutes without breath. And we like to think about God and the Holy Spirit as Ruach, as breath. So you might want to just close your eyes, make yourself even more comfortable than you might already be, and just follow along with me, pay attention to your breath. So breathe in the breath of God and breathe out your cares and concerns. Breathe in the love of God and breathe out your doubts and despairs. Breathe in the life of God and breathe out your fears and frustrations. And now I'm gonna invite you into a little bit of silence to just sit quietly before the one who gives life and love to all creation, to sit in awe of the one who formed us in our mother's wombs, and to sit at peace, surrounded by the one who fills every fiber of our being.
right, take in one deep, lovely, glorious breath and let it out. And I hope I can remind you in this brief little way to remember to pay attention to your embodiedness, no matter what you're doing in front of these screens. Now, I'm a scholar, and so there are a couple times in which I think conceptual frames are useful, and I want to offer you two briefly right now. The first has to do with authority, authenticity, and agency, and the second one has to do with context collapse. So the three most dynamic and compelling shifts that we're observing in the middle of digital media have to do with how we experience authority, how we encounter authenticity, and how we engage agency. We've been talking about some of this all afternoon, right? Especially authenticity. I think you've heard a lot from pastor leaders who have tried to figure out how do you how do you present yourself authentically? Um, you know, letting the fractures and the cracks appear is often more real than trying to create something that's beautifully produced. But I don't know if we've talked as much about authority or about agency, and those two things are also really important. One of the reasons why I liked Ryan's book, and I've used it in my class this fall, is because he talks a lot about the creativity that lives in digital culture spaces. And I think some part of that has to do with agency, that people want to create, and these digital tools make creating a lot easier than uh, in some previous spaces. We also need to talk about authority though. And one of the things about authority is that it's being flattened, which I think a couple of you have also picked up on in terms of how collaborative leadership needs to be in terms of living with people's deep questions, in terms of thinking about um, just because you are the clergy in the space doesn't mean that anybody is necessarily listening to you. I mean, there are a whole bunch of other ways in which people aren't even um, coming near our religious spaces. I'm very interested in, in what God is doing in beyond the church spaces, the church outside the building, so to speak. So authority, authenticity, agency, those are dynamics that have been fundamentally shifted and that we have to pay attention to. The other conceptual frame that I think is really important to notice has to do with context collapse. A lot of our speakers today have talked about how important context is, which I totally agree with. And I wanna note that uh, a lot of the structures that we have used to signal shared context have disappeared right now in the middle of the pandemic. So if you think about what it means to worship together, right? It used to, for many people, meant being in the same space physically. So even if we disagreed with each other, even if we didn't like the music, even if we da-da-da-da-da, we were still in the same context. But now, when we're all coming at this through these postage stamp sized Hollywood grid screens, we don't actually know each other's context very much at all because we're certainly not sharing it. And I think it's one reason why some of the speakers, I love what Jim Keats just did with talking about his Airstream and the campfire and all the rest of that. Um, those are all ways to begin to create more context. And I think that that's what we as pastor leaders, no matter what spaces we're inhabiting, whether it's in worship or education or aid and all, you know, justice seeking ways, we have to recontextualize. We have to figure out how do we help bring shared context to what we're doing. And I think um, faith ought to be a support and foundation for us in the midst of all the uncertainty that we're inhabiting right now. But for too many people, it's become a box they can't see out of, or maybe it's become a crutch that hobbles them or a rule book they chafe at, or in some ways an ancient practice that feels irrelevant. 
Meanwhile, as Ryan has pointed out, media culture is participatory culture. It's collaborative. It's creative. So how do we how do we live faith in the middle of that? And this is something that some of us have been working on for a long time prior to the pandemic. It just now becomes even more um, obvious. It's like Sherry Turkle, or it's like Kathy Davidson's book. Now you see it, right? Our practices have been disrupted enough that now we can see the challenges. So part of how we do this, how, part of how we recontextualize is we talk about story, we bring stories to light. And I think there've been some wonderful examples already today. Early on, some of our original, our earliest speakers, um, we're talking about what it means to listen carefully. What does it mean to, um, to discover <laughs> what people's stories are? And I think these are two quotes from a book I adore by Herb Anderson and Ed Foley called Mighty Stories, Dangerous Rituals. And one of the things that they say is that when we listen carefully to people, we, just, we will discover that they often live with competing stories, but no narrative, no overarching way of weaving their stories together and little understanding of the ordinary daily connection between the human and the divine narratives. That's what I think we're doing at the heart of religious community is reweaving those stories between the human and the divine. And that's something that we can do in no matter what space we find ourselves. They also write that ultimately it's in the stories we tell and the rituals we enact that the great paradox is exposed. To live, we have to die. And in the meantime, we look for enough courage to love the questions and live the contradictions of the stories and rituals that bring them to life. To do so in a spirit of reconciliation does not demand resolution, but allows transformation as we never imagined it and grace where we least expect it. And that leads me really to my big question. How do you help yourself ask deeper questions in the midst of this? Not just how to use the technology, not just what kind of audio support people. Sarah talked about the difference between a technical issue and an adaptive challenge. This is the adaptive challenge. What are these deeper questions? And then how do you help other people ask them? I think we have to remember, and this is Parker Palmer, who's somebody whose work I love. He talks about the spiritual life is lived in a balance of paradoxes and the humility that enables us to hear the truth of others must stand in creative tension with the faith that empowers us to speak our own. So think about that. That's a balance. That's paradox. That's a both and space. And yet very many of the digital spaces we inhabit don't give us much practice in doing that. I, I pulled up a couple of... Um, cartoons that I thought were illustrative of this. So here you've got two people, right, looking at their screens, and one is saying, I feel in the mood for a stupid and pointless argument in an online forum today. And the other one says, I feel in the mood for a pointless and stupid argument in an online forum today. And the title is, How the Internet Brings Us Together. Right, there are elements of these digital spaces we're inhabiting that aren't helping us to practice balancing paradox. Or there's this one, I love peanuts. I hear you're writing a book on theology. I hope you have a good title. Snoopy says, I have the perfect title. Has it ever occurred to you that you might be wrong? This is where, you know, we're living in a world right now that is so divided and polarized that we don't even agree on the, on the same facts, right? Like we don't, <laughs> we don't share a set of the same facts even. And Parker Palmer has something to say about this too. He says, the heart is what makes us human and politics, politics, 
wrote a whole book about it, which is the use of power to order our life together is a profoundly human enterprise. Politics in the hands of those whose hearts have been broken open, not apart, helps us hold our differences creatively and use our power courageously for the sake of a more equitable, just, and compassionate world. So is this disruption breaking us open or is it breaking us into shards? I worry about this an awful lot. I worry about it because I worry about whom we're listening to as we're learning in a text-shaped culture. I worry about it for these kinds of reasons, right? The media storm, those on the couch say, I see plenty of pictures, but I can't make out the big one, which is also the quote that, I mean, that's what Anderson and Foley were trying to get at. What's the overarching narrative? Or this one, right? The person so caught up in their playing their Pokemon Go game that they don't notice the brutality of what's happening behind them and the police killing of a black or brown person, right? This is here we are in the middle of the racial uprising in the Twin Cities and technology, digital culture has made it possible for us, especially people who look like me, right? White folk who inhabit structures of privilege to actually see and hear these stories that we wouldn't otherwise have allowed ourselves, I think, to venture towards. That's a space, that's a space that religious communities can be active in. That's a space where in the middle of all the uncertainty and all the chaos and all the harm, all that's difficult right now, we can enter into that space. And there's where I think it's about learning how to share complexity. I know a lot of people come to church because they want simplicity. Simplicity can be a form of complexity as long as it's not simplistic, right? This is a lovely article. By the way, oh, I meant to, I meant to do that. Let me do that while I'm thinking about it. Um, my slides already live up at, um, I'm going to put them in the chat here, um, already live at SlideShare. So you can find these, you can find these slides there. Um, hold on, let me go back to where I was. Hopefully you got them there. Um, okay, get this out of the way now. Um, that article, anything that's underlined in my slides is an active link. And this is a lovely article that talks about conflict, polarization, and how to move through it in healing, right? And part of what uh, the scholar talks about is sharing complexity. What does it mean to amplify contradictions? What does it mean to widen the lens? What does it mean to listen more and better? reminding all of us that humans need to be heard before they will listen. Or some of you remember Rich Malheim's comment that um, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. All right, that's what religious communities can be doing right now. That's where I think we need to be active in these spaces, not just trying to figure out how to do worship, but actually trying to figure out how do we enter into, as Jim was saying earlier, the relational process? How do we enter into the communicative process that God is talking about or that, that um, we hear as we encounter the Bible? I'm deeply moved by the work of Howard Thurman. And I know this is kind of a long quote, and I'm, I know I'm going to be running out of time here shortly. But let me just read this quote. Um, Howard Thurman, who is really a mystic extraordinaire in the U.S. context, wrote, there's the rest there is the rest of detachment and withdrawal when the spirit moves into the depths of the region of the great silence, where world weariness is washed away 
and blurred vision is once again prepared for the focus of the long view, where seeking and finding are so united that failure and frustration, real though they are, are no longer felt to be ultimately real. Here, the presence of God is sensed as an all-pervasive aliveness, which materializes into the concreteness of communion, the reality of prayer. Here, God speaks without words, and the self listens without ears. Here, at last, glimpses of the meaning of all things and the meaning of one's own life are seen with all their strivings. To accept this is one meaning of the good line, rest in the Lord, oh, rest in the Lord. I'm convinced that we need Sabbath. We need real Sabbath. We need to recognize the trauma all around us. We need to lament. We need to be advocates. And we need to learn how to embrace Sabbath. Um, I wanted to leave some time for questions. And I think that I still, if I stop right now, we still have a few minutes, right? Yes, sir. So I'm going to leave that and you can get to the rest of my slides. Um, and I'd rather sit here. Or I'd rather be in the space, at least five minutes here, right? Of let's, let's engage. Let's hear from each other. Let's actually say we are learning collaboratively. Well, thank you, Mary. I know there, there's a quote from Dave uh, Dalbert in the in the chat, and and Dave talks about having a conversation with two members today, uh, as as Dave was recording their stories and how they struggled to connect their story to uh, God's larger story. And and I think Dave actually has a lot of experience in helping uh, congregations to articulate their stories and to weave them into God's story. Uh, I think that is that that's one of the themes that's emerged from our time together today is just how many. Uh, of us are, are looking at that work and starting that work, um, not just of proclaiming a message from the pulpit, but of, of weaving the stories from the community into the narrative of, of God's work in the world. And trusting that God continues to work in the world far beyond the confines of any church that we've ever identified, right? I mean, one of the things somebody said earlier, and I, this is one of my pet, you, you probably remember this from being in one of my classes, I hate the phrase, the unchurched. It's one of my pet peeves, and I prefer to talk about the unheard, right? Because what, what is God doing out there in the community that we're not listening to? If I could jump in um, just to, for a second, because um, I think your pro presentation was really helpful, Mary. Um, I do think one of the things we can do with technology is we can help people, because um, it's easier to tell a story and to tell it again and again. And so I had several people, we're doing a large storytelling. We're having six or seven stories a week for Advent. So we probably have 25 stories on video. Um, we've got somebody editing a Tuesday video and a Sunday. And if people screw up, you can, you can take it out. So they're more confident to try, they risk more. And you can also help them when you edit by putting captions in. Like if somebody's talking about memories in their story and they don't mention God, you can put a, a caption as the, um, a reminder that our memories connect us to God's larger story or um, God. So you can add a sentence to somebody's piece with a nice caption very gently and help people be more theological next time or people who listen see the theology that the speaker wasn't able yet to articulate. So it's really a gentle medium for advancing stories. And I really appreciate some of your quotes, Mary. So thank you for those. They were really Amen to that. I do a lot of work actually around um, digital storytelling. And 
the um, I just put a, a link in the chat about it from the Storying Faith site, which talks a lot about how to do that with Storing Faith. I'd love, Dave, to connect to some of the stuff you're doing. And for those of you who haven't found it yet, this is also a really cool um, tool that lives on there, lives online that you can use for up to three hours for free, which will create captions and allow you to edit really easily. It's the easiest tool I found for doing video editing with captioning. Um, Cause you're right. You're exactly right. And you know, there's all sorts of um, uh, equity issues or justice issues involved in how are you making stuff accessible to people and allowing people to tell their stories, to learn how to tell their story first in a circle right in a story circle and then record that and turn that into a digital story where they add image and music then they're telling then they're resting in their story and they're hearing it again and again and that's a really powerful process i will say one of the things because now we're almost at our time right which one of the things that I particularly loved about the Grace and Gigabytes book was that um, Ryan did a lovely job of creating both um, an understanding that this is a, these are cultural processes we're engaged in. They're not just technical techniques and inviting people at the end of each chapter to talk about sort of a no tech, low tech and high tech ways of engaging, right? And I think that that helps people understand that it's not just about the shiny new toy, right? It's about how are we, and this has been said over and over again this afternoon, how do we relate with each other? How do we build deeper relationships? Well, thank you so much, Mary. Uh, I could not have written this book without uh, taking your class and learning from you at Luther uh, only a few years ago. So, so thank you so much for the work you do and for sharing that work with us this afternoon. Uh, you know, it's it's 4.30 and all of us have been on Zoom for, for a really long time this afternoon, hearing some fantastic presentations. And hopefully you're leaving uh, this Zoom uh, filled with ideas and insights, uh, maybe a little weary from an extended session on Zoom. So be sure to give yourself some extra time for disconnection with whatever comes next in your day. If you do read the book, I'd love to hear what you think about it. Uh, I'm going to uh, just type my email address here. Um, send me an email, send me a tweet, let me know your thoughts. I'd love for this to be the uh, start of an ongoing conversation. And uh, so finally, just want to uh, acknowledge and thank you all once again for your energy, for your presence this afternoon. Blessings on the season of Advent, this time of liminality, of extra liminality that we are all in. And have a wonderful rest of, of your afternoon and evening. Bye all.